Here, these are not for you, just so you know. If you're thinking I'm giving away gifts today, this is, a, this is a prop for me. So if there's any thought that there's goodies being handed out, I got bad news. These are not goodies, okay? Just wanted to take that off the table right away in case there was... Um, although if you really are sad and you're hoping there was candy inside or some food and, and no one, I didn't offer any just now, good news is that um, Zach Felposh over here is going to offer to buy anybody after church candy or food if they want to. Just see him. He's wealthy, and uh, he'll be glad to help you. Okay. Um, here's what I want to do today. Um, I want to take this morning, and I was going to say this is going to be an unusual service, but I say that too much so it doesn't count. Um, the reason I say this is going to be an unusual service is because some of us, and I've been in church world my whole life, some of us have this, um, we know, we always think about those people. That, and this will help some of you understand me maybe. I'm always aware of the people who come to church with a church mindset. They know how church should be in their minds. And their background, their distinction, their way, whether they were raised in or whether they came to faith as an adult, they found themselves in a lane and church should be a certain thing. Maybe the church should, you know, be teaching through Leviticus one chapter at a time through the whole Bible, you know, or maybe they think the church should do this. They have an eye vision of what's supposed to be. And so when we do unorthodox things, it would seem unusual to someone who has a box of how this is supposed to be done. And then we don't follow the box because we want to take topics or series or whatever we want to do, study a book of the Bible, tackle a topic. We just do our own thing here, which I like. And I think it's, it's not a conversation for today. But because we are unusual to some expectations, I say that sometimes. But we are so unusual so often that i got to stop saying that. So instead I'm going to say, today, this is how we're going to be unusual. And next week we'll tell you then how we're going to be unusual that week. But we're going to be a little unusual today a certain way. And here's why. I just want to take this morning personally to be a bit sentimental. And you'll understand why in just a moment here. I'm going to be sentimental for a while. And that's going to be different. We're going to later on look at a Bible passage. In fact, just so as you know, we're going to look at the same exact Bible passage today that we looked at last Sunday about the rich young man, the rich young ruler. If you're with us last Sunday, you're getting the same text today, but a different direction, okay? Just, but that'll be later because I'm going to just take the data, and then I'm going to apply that to you all and to us at the end of the message today. But I want to spend some time reflecting personally and if you, and here's why. I'm a sentimental sap. I got to tell you this. You got to know me. I'm the guy. I get all the feels, you know. Uh, like if you were coming to my house and you were to watch a movie at my house and there's a sad part in it, and you want to know who has got some tears in their eyes or maybe dripping down their cheeks a little bit, it's not Michelle usually. She's tough as nails apparently. It's me. We watched one last night, uh, The Book of Henry, I think. The Book of Henry. And I'm over there, you know, just being a big, don't look at me, I got allergies, you know. And, um, you know, so I'm a sentimental guy anyhow. And I get reflective about, about things. And so right now, I'm very sentimental. You know, anniversaries do this for me. Birthdays do this for me. But right now, it's special for me because this week marks the 24-year anniversary that I've been the pastor of Lighthouse Church. 24 years this week. Now, this church. Now, I'm excited about that. It's a long time. It's not always been the same. When I came here 24 years ago, we were in a different location. Um, it was called Lakeside Baptist Church at the time. Um, and then for reasons we don't need to get into today, we changed it to Lighthouse Baptist Church a few shortly thereafter. And then sometime later when I kind of left the fundamental Baptist background I was raised in and decided that's not healthy and became a community-minded, non-denominational church, uh, we changed it to Lighthouse Church. And then some years ago, 
a few, a few, just a few years ago now, four years ago, um, a, a journey wrapped up at this place where it used to be First Baptist Church of Cedar Lake and the folks there, many of you are still here, they were struggling and um, deciding if, they're gonna, how, if they were going to continue or how they would continue and made a decision over a, a course of a year to uh, vote to ultimately they voted to dissolve their corporation to give their properties to Lighthouse Church and the remaining members, many of them chose to join Lighthouse Church and we became one body. And so Lighthouse moved here and now different location, but I've been a pastor of this organization, this church, for 24 years this week. So I don't know how to measure the exact date. I had filled the pulpit for a few weeks in Cedar Lake back in the day, 1998. It was on November the 8th of 1998 that um, the church voted. And here's, here's how dark ages this was. This will help some of you. I, I, I had to go. I was in my big church. I attended a very large church, my alma mater's church. I attended that church. I had to leave my department I was working in that morning during church and went to a pay phone, folks, a pay phone that was in the lobby of that church, put my quarters in and called the deacon board and found out that they had voted that morning uh, it was about 25 people at the church at the time. They voted uh, 11 to 1. Enough, that's a lot of people were of voting age. 11 to 1 to vote me in as the pastor of that church in Cedar Lake. I'm still bitter about who that one was. I don't want to know who they were. Uh, I'll never get over it. But anyhow, um, and then uh, that was November 8th. And then a week later, November 15th, which is this Tuesday, I stood up on, uh, in, in Lighthouse, I stood up in the, the, this church, different name, um, different place. I stood up here for the first time as pastor on November 15th of 1998. So this week it'll be 24 years, and I just get sentimental. And I think about things like this. And so sometimes at an occasion like this, what I want to do is I want to be a little bit reflective. And then I also want to kind of cast a little vision going forward. But today, I'm not going to do any vision casting forward. I've done that before. I'll do it again real soon. I'm going to be basically be reflective a little bit. And I uh, hope that you can bear with me. I, I hope it's useful. If you're one of the people who says that's not you're supposed to do church, I hope you'll have grace for me. Okay? But um, I hope that today I can just be a little sentimental. I get this way. And I've, I've seen a lot. I've been, my dad was a pastor when I was a teenager. I've been, I've been around this thing for a long time. And one of the things I've seen a lot through the years and one of the things that has always impacted me, and this is going to get real heavy for a minute. It's going to get real heavy today, just in case you want to know where this is turning, okay? One of the things that has always impacted me as a, um, as a young man, as a pastor through the years, and has weighed on me, is seeing moral failure in Christian leadership. Pastors, deacons, elders, small group leaders, Christian, uh, you know, famous authors or you know, college people, you know, just Christian leaders that people looked up to who fell into some kind of moral failure is always, shook, it's always been impactful to me since I was young. I'm not, it could be sexual promiscuity sometimes that happens or someone just gets uh, tired and, and abandons their family and runs away. Addiction or substance abuse in several occasions. Um, financial embezzlement has happened many times. But the most common one, it seems to be sexual sins. And um, when it happens amongst Christian leadership, it's always impactful. And uh, this, I've, like, I've been around a long time, and since I was young, I've always had to sort this out. And I'll tell you the truth, um, when I was a teenager, I don't think I really thought about it much. When you're a teenager, you just kind of like, ah, da, da. but then when I became a young adult, it was kind of more real, you know, because then you're like thinking about your own life. And I was in Bible college 
thinking about serving God with my whole life and, and what I did for a, a, a career, dating Michelle and then marrying Michelle while we're still in college. You know, you start thinking about this stuff. And I remember one story. I mean, I can tell you stories. We could take the whole day and tell stories about this topic. Um, just one story. When I, there were a couple lar- uh, very big name leaders in our Bible college and church when I was in seminary that were influencers to a lot of us young people. One was kind of the, you know, he was a big name, you know, spoke to teens everywhere and eventually became the next pastor of the church himself. But the other one was when we got to college, you kind of fell in love with this guy. He was uh, the outreach ministry. He wasn't the leader, but he was the most influential person. He had a huge success at outreach ministry in Chicago. We were working in inner city. He was amazing. He was a bombastic speaker. You wanted to run through the brick wall for him. He's like the best coach you ever had. He was a leader, he was a preacher. I mean, this guy was the, the, the bomb. I mean, everyone loved him. He became the favorite of all of us college students, uh, an inspiration, a guide, and a, just a person that we looked up to. And I'll never forget one day, um, it was Sunday night church, because that's what we did back then, in our big church, and our pastor came out and said, to us. Okay, this is a different world back then. This is my, back, back, back in my fundamentalist days and a different kind of environment. But our pastor said that night, he said, I want to meet with all of the uh, people in those outreach ministries, all the young college students, after church in this other auditorium. And so Michelle and I and others went there, and it was hundreds and hundreds of us in there. And a pastor gets up, and he's an older man, and he begins to talk about all the times in his life that he had seen moral failure happen and how that it bothered him. And um, in leadership and how it, it could be a, a thing that shakes you, but how he's learned to navigate that. And we're like, what's going on here? And then he said out loud, he said, um, he named this man's name that we all admired and loved. And he said, he just ran off, left his wife and ran off with a young college girl, young enough to be his daughter. And he's gone. And I mean, it just floored. It floored all of us. Like that couldn't possibly have happened. Not here, not to, not to this guy. And I remember people started, some girls started sobbing and crying out loud. And the pastor's like, no, not, everyone, stop crying. Knock it off. We're not going to do this right now. He says, we're going to toughen up and here's, here's where we're going to go forward. And he just kind of pulled it together. But we just kind of went back and just kind of reeled from that. Like, how in the world did that happen? Michelle could tell you through the years, you know, we've seen so many. I mean, that's just, I just want to tell you one story. I could tell you so many. Long time ago, recently, People I would consider dear friends who and looked up to and were friends with who end up in prison for bad, bad stuff. And you're like, what in the world? How could that happen? And then, um, you know, just some things they happen, they get covered up, which should never get covered up. And other times things just happen. And like I said, someone runs off on somebody or someone does something, falls into some kind of a bad way. A mega church pastor not long ago and got up in addictions and uh, became an alcoholic and had a bad marriage and lost his mega church because he, he was out of control. And I can, you go across any denomination, anywhere you want to look. You know, the Catholics get a lot of bad rap for it, mostly because of cover-ups, which is a whole other story. The fundamental Baptist I came from can make the Catholics blush sometimes. Um, the, um, they have so many scandals they've had. Um, even in other denominations in Christianity, Pentecostal, Charismatic, Christian Reformed, um, you know, seeker-sensitive churches, uh, you know, more hardcore, you know, gospel-centered or uh, expositorily-based churches. In fact, this recently, the most recent one that's hit me was a man who was a kind of a hardcore church, the kind that kind of criticizes those other churches for being too 
you know, whatever. One of the hardcore church leaders in America in the evangelical movement. Uh, a very gospel-centered presence and a big name. You know, church discipline, all that kind of stuff. And not my cup of tea, but the kind of guy you thought would never, would, would always be above reproach. He just had to step down from his, his, his ministry this, a couple months ago. Shocked, shocked me because of uh, inappropriate relationship with a woman in his church. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, spiritual abuse. I mean, you can name it. I mean, just, you know, how do you treat people? There's stories all over the place. In my 24 years of being a pastor, I've heard many. And in my years before that of being, you know, preparing for ministry, I've heard many. And here now, I've got to say this to you real quick in case your mind's wandering. I'm talking about this because it's, it relates close to home to my occupation. I am not announcing any moral failure on anyone's part. Nothing has happened at the lighthouse that I'm aware of, unless you have something you want to share with us, in which case we'll deal with that. But there's been nothing bad happened here. Um, but I'm just reflecting a little bit today. Um, it always shook me. I, I would think, here's what I would think. And I've got to say this to you first. Well, Michelle and I, we just, we just tried to follow the path that was laid out in front of us. You know, when we started dating each other, we were both still virgins. I said that before. It's a buzzword, ha, ha, ha. But we had just never been intimate with anybody. That's how we were raised. And we were college age now. And we made a decision that we wanted to save each other for each other if it worked out. And we decided we weren't even going to kiss. Now, this is not like advice for you necessarily, but this is just us. We decided we're not even going to, you know, we're not even going to do that. We're going to um, just wait till our wedding. And so we did. We dated the whole time, and on our wedding day, we kissed for the first time at the altar. And that's weird, and I don't recommend, I'm not saying that has to be your, your policy, but it kept us out of trouble. Um, and, you know, if you think it's, if, you're, if you make fun of that, we're doing fine today, okay? Everything's good. So it doesn't matter. There's just a few years of dating right there. But uh, we, 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 we dated carefully. We've only known each other as a couple. Nobody else before or since. We've been faithful to each other. Um, we're boring, and really we're too boring probably, so this is just us. We don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't date the ones that do. I mean, we're just not, we're just boring. And that's not because we're, those things are sinful all necessarily. It's just because we just have tried to say, is this wise? Not is it wrong, but is it wise? Should we do that or should we not do that? We just try to walk the line that, and follow the Lord and, and have rules that are stricter for ourselves that may be necessary. And maybe that's boring, but it's kept us happy. We're very happy. I've not, I've not regretted my whole life saying, oh, I wish I would have been, you know. We've, we've lived a good life. But in doing that, here's what I'm trying to say. When I see people in Christian leadership, like we've aimed our lives to be in Christian leadership and serve the Lord and ministry and serve people, when I see moral failure on a high level, it always shakes me a little bit. Now, I'm just being very, I'm being very vulnerable here for a minute. And just being, it shakes me a little bit. Here's the, thing, the thoughts. I remember being a young man just in college, just young, new married, and I, I remember saying this to, to God so many times in prayer to Michelle. I'm thinking, if these guys wrecked themselves, will, will, do I have any hope? I mean, these are my icons. These are people you looked up to. If they wrecked themselves, what's gonna, what am I going to do? Like you read the Bible, David was a man after God's own heart, and he pulverized his life, hurt his family. You know, Solomon was the wisest man ever. He made some horrible choices and kind of brought hardship on his whole I mean, if David and Solomon, and then people I know, I can name them to you that I looked up to as a young man. I said, is there hope for me? Am I just going to wreck myself one day because these guys did and they're better people than me? And so that was always heavy. And not, not just that, but then just the whole, how could they do that? They taught us better. You know, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I've carried that before. Maybe you have too. Look, I'm not the only one who's been in church for a long time. If you've been around, you have people you know 
who call themselves Jesus followers, maybe leaders, people, people that were of high stature. Maybe they were deacons or elders in your church or a small group leader or just a family you admired across the way. Or maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a big name, a celebrity level name or someone that you looked up to who just did something that you think, wow, could they do that? How could they do this to, their, to, to somebody else or to their family or to their life? And everything is devastated. If you've ever seen that and had to sort that out, that's what I'm talking about. And the reason it's been more personal to me is because, um, you know, it's my, it's my occupation. Just a few weeks ago when I mentioned this, this relatively recent story of a big-name pastor, I, when I saw that news a couple months ago, I laid in bed for a couple nights with insomnia. I would toss and turn, I'd pray, I'd, I'd, I'd shed some tears, I'd get my phone out and read news articles and say, how could this person end up falling that, poor, that badly? Because, you know, it just feels so personal, it feels so relatable to my industry, so to speak, if you know what I'm saying. So I'm being very vulnerable with you in saying all that. If you've been through that today and you can say, yeah, I've seen that too, or maybe you haven't yet, but if you stick around long enough, you will. Someone's going to let you down. So I want to say a couple things about that that have helped me navigate this. And maybe they'll help you if you've been trying to sort through some disappointment, some disillusionment, or maybe if, um, if it happens in the, when it happens in the future to somebody, God forbid, someone you know, someone you look up to. A couple of things I want to just give you some quick advice before I get to our Bible story and my main point. A couple of quick pieces of advice that I've helped me, hopefully it helps some of you. Number one is this. Look to men and women that you respect or admire for inspiration, but don't fasten your gaze upon them. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Please hear that. It's okay to look to people. Paul the Apostle once said, follow me as I follow Christ. Okay. And nothing wrong with saying this person is, a, is a, you know, someone I look up to, respect, I, I admire that. But the key is as he follows Christ. They can get their eyes off of the Lord at any time. And so, man, look to people, respect people, appreciate people who've inspired you and bring the best out of you. Let them be an inspiration, but don't fix your gaze upon them. Fix your eyes on Jesus. People will let you down, but, he, but Christ never will. Okay, And if you, if you look at the wrong thing, if you put people on a pedestal and they stumble off of it, it can leave your faith rocked to its very core. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Okay. Number two, I want to say this for some advice, practical advice. Number two, don't judge the Lord by those who use his name but fail to follow his teaching in their personal lives. We all fail to follow the teachings of Jesus in our personal lives, including leaders. Sometimes it's in a cataclysmic, serious, devastating way. Some people are just phonies on top of that. They're just the fakes who, who are, you know, name the name of God and don't really mean it. And then they get exposed. Don't judge the Lord by those who use his name but don't follow his teachings or his, in their personal lives. Okay? No one likes that. No one likes it when someone reflects on your organization as a leader because of something that an employee does. Or you as a parent, your children do something stupid or mess up and they blame you and you already blame yourself. And you're like, man, I, I didn't teach them that. I don't, want it. I, didn't, I don't do that. And yet God has to take the brunt of all the behavior of people who use his name but don't do his teachings. Like if Jesus Christ doesn't teach to do something dumb and someone does it anyhow, that's not on Jesus. You know, but, but it's easy to sometimes blame him. And, and a lot of people have lost their, their way. People leave the faith 
People quit church. People quit practicing their faith. They, they doubt God's existence because of the behavior of people who call themselves Christians. But I'm going to beg us today, let's not judge the Lord because of the humanity of, of humans, including Jesus' followers or Christians in name or even leaders. Number three, I want to say this. We need to have grace in our hearts for those who fall, even those in leadership or those we believe should know better. I, I, that should be anybody. You know, sometimes I see Christians and we struggle to show grace towards people, even regular people. Like, I know this guy says he's a Christian, went to church with me, sat across the room, and then he wrecked himself, and I'll tell you what. And then I've seen such little grace sometimes in some church places. And I'm thinking, what are we doing if we don't have grace for, for folks? First of all, are we infallible? But anyhow, besides that, we sing about the song earlier, This is Amazing Grace. We talk about for God's forgiveness and redemption. Do we just believe that for ourselves? If that does not carry out to anybody else, what's the point of even coming, to, coming here on Sundays? Let's just shut the doors down and go home and quit playing around because the whole point of our central message is grace and mercy and restoration, redemption, forgiveness. And I know that sometimes people can do something that can close a door of opportunity for them. I know that. Maybe forever or maybe for a little while at least, for a season. I know that happens. But our goal should always be redemption and restoration and forgiveness and grace for all people. All people. And if we don't believe that, then we've missed the point of the scriptures. Because we're all sinners. We all come short of the glory of God. And if someone does it in a bigger fall, we gotta have that, we gotta believe the gospel, otherwise we have no security for ourselves. But it's harder for us to do that when it's a person of leadership, isn't it? It's like it's the reason some of us are good at showing grace to other people for their brokenness, but we have a hard time for our parents for their brokenness that we experienced. Our parents' brokenness, we're like, I can't understand it. Other people, we can understand, you know, life's been hard, but our parents should know better than our parents, you know, because we grew up kind of under them. And, and we just think, we can't see them through the lens of somebody else. They should know better. We do the same thing for, for leaders. The leader should know better. But we forget that parents are just people, human beings who had their own broken lives, grew up and had to raise kids, and they, and we, just, we grew up in the, in the wake of that, right? It's not always their, you know, we, can't, we, we have to find grace for them. And leaders are just humans. And Christians are humans who fail on Christ. And leaders are people who try to, to lead and serve others. And Christian leaders are humans who found Christ and try to lead. I mean, and they're going to falter. So if we can't see them through a lens of grace, and I know the culture we live in. It's like, you're done, you're toast. I've watched the toxicity of people towards others who fall. That there's no redemption. There's just a harsh harshness of, of cancel culture mentality of the world that's like there's no coming back I just you're dirt and you can just there's no kindness for those who have messed up and that's just not healthy and that by the way that's just as much of a sin as the sin that we hate the sin that causes someone to fall is just as bad as the sin of our nasty spirit of lack of a lack of grace anyhow number four I want to say this and that kind of leads into number four never be proud or think that it couldn't happen to us never be proud or think that it couldn't happen to us. Peter was like, I'll never deny Jesus, and they did. Paul wrote one time in Galatians, he says, if a, another person is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual or you who think you're spiritual should restore such a one in a spirit of humility and consider yourself lest you're also tempted. We should have a humility that says, I've either messed up myself on a small or big scale, a public or private scale, or I might in the future, but by the grace of God go I, I mean, this is, this is fragile. Never get to the spot where we think it's be, that, that we're better than that, because we're not. 
Those four things I just said to you have helped me navigate my faith to the disappointment of humans because I am one of them too, right? And that's how I've seen people that have let me down. And I hope that somewhere in there there's some advice that can help you. We're all human. Those hymns said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's so easy to, to get off the track. It's so easy to wander into temptation. We all need forgiveness, hope, redemption, and a chance from each other. And so I'm hoping that you'll take some of that advice to heart today. I'm going to repeat it one more time because i got to move on. I said, number one, look to men and women you respect or admire for inspiration, but don't fasten your gaze on them. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I said, number two, don't judge the Lord by those who use his name but fail to follow his teachings in their personal life. Number three, let's all have grace in our hearts, in our lives for those who fall, even those in leadership or those we think should know better. And number four, let's never be proud or think that it could not happen to us. Okay? I'm going to move on here. But I, wanted to, I hope that somewhere when you need to hear that, those thoughts will echo in your mind one day. Because who knows what could happen next year or 10 years or 20 years in your life if God gives us that much time, right? Good advice for all of us. Anyhow, I want to share a Bible story that we looked at last week. And then I want to make one more application that I hope will help you stay on a, a good path. The story we told last week was about a rich young man. The story is told in Matthew and Mark and Luke. It's told in three of the Gospels. One Gospel describes him as a young man. One describes him as a rich man. And one describes him as a religious leader. So in other words, he was all those things. A young religious leader who was rich. Successful in business. Successful in whatever. Esteemed in the religious community. And the story that Jesus has with him, we discussed. Now, I don't have time to teach it to you again. This is, if you're looking for me to get into the meat of the word, I'm going to tell a story real quick, and I'm going to go off trail and, and speak, be out of context for the rest of my time today. But if you were here last week, we talked about the story more in context. And if that wasn't enough, then you go back one year ago, we talked the whole sermon in long form in even more context. Today, I'm going to build on what we said last week, tell the story briefly, and then go off the trail. But we just did this last week, so you, you already heard it, most of you. Last week, we saw Luke's account of the story. Today, we're going to look at Mark's version. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, says, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 18, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And again, I can't reteach this today, but I just want to remind us real quick here that Jesus was not teaching work salvation all of a sudden, as opposed to what he normally taught about salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. He was helping a young man who did not look to Jesus as being his savior, but instead looked at Jesus as being a good teacher. He's a young man who wanted to come and be his own savior. He said, I'm good, I'm successful, what can I do to earn eternal life on my own? And so he wasn't coming to Jesus as a savior. That's why Jesus asked him, who do you think I am? Am I good? Am I God? Who do you think I am? And if I'm not your savior, then you gotta be your own savior. And if that's what you want to be, then you better be perfect. So keep all the commandments. And he names six of them right here, but there are hundreds in their old law. And the man in verse number 20 says, Teacher, I have obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Again, I can't pause here like I did last week, but I don't believe him, okay? 
But apparently he remembered his highlight reel. Maybe he obeyed those particular ones. But he's like, oh, I'm great. I'm I'm, I'm a perfect guy. And when you and I meet someone like that, so sure of themselves, so self-made and sure of themselves and cocky or whatever we might think, it's easy to look at them and to think, you, you drive me, you annoy me, you know? And Jesus could have easily taken a very harsh approach to him. But I want you to notice what Mark says next about the story in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I don't want you to miss that. We didn't see this last week because Mark didn't use that phrase. But this is so powerful. That Jesus didn't look at him and say, you fool, you punk, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with you. Like we've heard some people do to other people when they dress them down. Jesus doesn't come to him and just roll his eyes. He's about to drop a bomb on this young man to help him see that he was not perfect and he was not able to be his own savior. He's about to drop a bomb on him. But before he does, he first stops and just feels genuine love for him, even though he's so misguided, even though he's so wrong. And I want to say this to you. We ought to do the same thing for others. When we see people in our lives that we think are just wrong about something, I hope that our initial action would be like Jesus, that we would first just feel genuine love for them instead of just being disgusted or annoyed by them. Feel genuine love for others that you think are wrong. That's what Jesus did. By the way, if you ever found that you were wrong, if you ever found that you were in a spot where you felt that you were in the wrong and you were ashamed of something you've done or thought or behaved, I got good news for you. God feels genuine love for you at all times. I'm glad for that. No matter where we've ever been, he loves us all the time. And we ought to have the same love for each other. Anyhow, this, Jesus is going to drop the bomb, though. He says to the kid, okay, fine. You want to be perfect? You, want to, you don't need me as a savior? You, don't need, you, you want to be your own? Okay, fine. There's still one thing you haven't done, he said. Go and sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And what he was saying to the man was this. If you want to be the Savior, if you don't want to trust that I am more than just a good teacher, but that I am God, if you want to be the Savior yourself, then you do what I've done. Not just be perfect, sinless sacrifice like you think you might be, but do what I've done. I've left heaven. I left the riches and splendors of heaven. I laid aside my privilege. I came down to earth to be born in a poor family from a poor community and live a nomadic life all my adulthood as a minimalistic person who travels around without a house to live in and serve people until, and sacrifice for people until they kill me and I die and humble myself in obedience to death. You want to be your own savior? Fine, do what I did. Sell everything you have, give it all away, Come follow me. Now, we discussed that last week, and I don't have time to keep beating that drum. I'm just reviewing a little bit with you and the, and the context there. But what's interesting to me is the verse 22. At this, the young man's face fell, and he went away sad. Why? For he had many possessions. Now, we didn't talk about this last week because I was going to do it today. He had many possessions. In other words, at Jesus' invitation of a lifetime, I mean, Peter left his nets, you know, James left his nets in the fishing industry and followed Jesus. Matthew left his job as a tax collector. But this young man was invited to follow Jesus. But when he was invited, though he was intrigued, though he was probably leaning in, he suddenly stopped and said, I can't. Because he was so mindful of all of his riches and all of his possessions. And he said, I can't follow you. I can't follow you. I have too, too many possessions. Now, 
last week in Luke's account, Luke uses the phrase that the young man's face fell and he went away sad because he was very rich. He was very rich, or in this case, he had many possessions. Which is it? It's the same thing. Being rich does not just mean you have a large dollar amount in your bank account or your portfolio is really, really high. Or you have a lot of Dogecoin, Ron, in your account somewhere or something like that. It doesn't mean... Um, uh, that's, not what, that's not what being rich necessarily means. It might not be dollars or cents at all. It might not be a big portfolio. It might be that you're flat broke because you bought a nicer house, a fancier car, you wear fine threads, you have all the new toys. You're broke because you got a bunch of possessions. Rich can be rich because I'm money rich or rich can be rich because I'm possession rich and I spent all the money. We're all kind of rich that way in America compared to most of the world. But anyhow, this young man, he had a lot. And Jesus says, sell it all, give it all away, and come follow me. And he's like, I can't. I thought about it. I was tempted to, Jesus. I was tempted to follow you. But then I realized I have all this stuff, and I value it. In other words, he was saying he had too much to lose. He said, I have too much to lose. I have all my stuff. And we know that he made the wrong choice, don't we? We know that he should have. Man, that stuff is, you gotta, you're going to leave it behind anyhow. You can't take it with you. It's not too much to lose. You made the wrong choice. He valued the wrong thing. We know that. But here's the deal. Even though he valued the wrong thing, I understand it. It's easy to do. It's because he was aware of it. It's because his eyes were on it. See, if you forget what you have, you might walk away from it all, but he's looking at it saying, oh no, I know all my stuff. And I, I was just thinking about it all day today. And it's just, so, I love it so much. And then Jesus is following me. Oh, I can't. I have too many great possessions. I'm too rich. I have too much to lose. And he chose foolishly. He chose wrong. It was his loss in the story because he valued the wrong treasure. And listen, that is what all of our bad decisions come down to in life. All of, let's be honest. All of our bad decisions or sin in our life always comes down to just that right there. That we end up valuing the wrong thing. Right? We value the wrong thing and we undervalue something else. We overvalue something that's not worth it and we undervalue what matters most. And so as I heard this story, now I'm, again I'm being a very... I'm, I'm using this Sunday because it's a sentimental time of the year for me. And I, I, my mind's been here, especially with the recent events lately that I just talked about earlier. And, and so I'm sharing it with you to hopefully lay a couple of seeds in your mind for, for later in your life. When I was in seminary training for ministry, and I told you that story earlier about that, that icon, that man that we all looked up to who fell and wrecked his life, it was a couple months after that story happened that I'm sitting in, in our college one day during a chapel service. And someone preached that day in chapel from the text that we just read. And, and as he did, God put a thought in my heart that is not contextually part of the story, but the story made me think of it. And it has been a guiding light to my entire life all these years. And it's helped me hopefully avoid some, some hard, tragic crashes along the way. And I wanted to share it with you. As I heard the story about this rich young man who, who was tempted to follow Jesus, but they said, I can't follow you because I have, I have great possessions. I have too much to lose and chose the, to value the wrong thing. I thought to myself, that's true for all of us, but on the inverse as well. On the inverse as well. 
Not just in the temptation to say, I can't follow God because I have all these things, but often in life, we have things that are truly valuable in our lives, true treasures, true riches. But what happens in life is the devil comes, the tempter comes, lust comes, sin comes, temptation comes and says, hey man, come on, come on. You just come over here. Just indulge in this, in this substance abuse. Just indulge in this, in this um, behavior. Just in escapism. Get some escapism. Oh, flirt with that person or, or start that conversation or lust that way or open that door. Walk through the opportunity you have. Just run away from it all. Just be done. Just throw in the towel in general. Temptation comes our way at many times in our life and tries to tempt us to say, follow me. Just walk away from it all. Just leave it all behind. Let it go and follow me. And I think that, that we ought to be like this rich young man on the inverse. He looked at Jesus and Jesus said, follow me and says, man, that's tempting, but I can't. I have too much to lose. And you're like, no, you made the wrong choice. But so many times in our life, we have so many great things that God has given us, so many great possessions. And when temptation comes, we ought to say, I'm tempted, I'm tempted, but I can't follow you there. I have too much to lose. I have too much to lose. I have some great treasure. This has been a help to my my whole entire faith journey and my whole entire years of leadership. And I'm just going to share with you what's helped me. These thoughts have helped me. I have great possessions. I have too much to lose. I can't go down that path. I can, believe me, very easily. But I I just can't afford to. That's what I mean. I can't afford to because the price is too great because I have too much to lose. What, What treasure do you have, Arlen, that's so valuable? I have several. First of all, I want to mention Michelle. I have Michelle. I'm going to tell you something, man. I was a teenage boy in a youth group dating a girl I probably shouldn't have been dating plans to do my life the way I wanted to. And one day, uh, my, my dad was my pastor at that time. I didn't want to listen to him. So I listened to an uh, area pastor nearby came by and asked me to go out for ice cream, and they sabotaged me with a talk, you know. And he um, talked to me that day about my life and my direction. And I remember going home that day and thinking, I need to break up with this girl I'm dating and surrender my life to Christ, and I did. But I'm going to be very, very honest about this who I was as a young man, I was, I was mindful of the desire to get married one day. Very much so. I began to pray early on in my, in my new faith journey. God, can you bring me a good wife? And I even had criteria for him and all that. You know, I'm like, God, just bring me a good wife. You know, I won't get into all that. But anyhow, and as I graduated from high school, God brought Michelle, who I knew from grade school, back into my world because they, our parents got, got back together in, in work and re, re-engaged with a girl that I once knew and liked in grade school. And we started to date in college, and I fell in love, and she married me. She said, yes, I fooled her. Now, here's the deal. It's been awesome. 28 years now, this last August, we've been married. And she's the, she's the secret sauce to this whole thing. She's the, she's the rock star of this marriage, okay? And I have been so incredibly blessed, way beyond what I deserve. And, 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 and we all face it. And, and, and I thought about all those times as a young man thinking, God, I see so many people in the Bible and in their lives, and they, just, they, they make a big mistake. Will I? And I'm, 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 I, have, I, I was afraid I would, and I haven't yet, and I, maybe I will one day. I hope not, but what has kept me grounded is I thought along the way about this rich young man, and I thought he wouldn't follow Jesus because he had too much to lose. But i got to do the same thing. I can't follow those temptations. I can't follow those opportunities. They, they might call. They might be out there. But guess what? i got too much to lose. I don't want to lose Michelle. I don't want to lose that relationship. I don't want to lose our marriage. 
I don't even want to hurt it. So we have to go through, you know, a, a, rough, a rough patch. I'm rich. Too many possessions. I'm just being honest, I'm, I'm reflecting a little bit. This is an anniversary week for me, so pardon me today. But another great treasure I have is my children, Brett and Jessica and Lindsay. I never th- dreamed I could be a dad. Never, you know, I look at a young dweeb teenage boy that, you know, wondered what, how life would work out, and he's let me get married for all these years, have three kids. And they have kept me grounded so many times in my adult life. I got my kids. Brett, Jessica got married this year. They were, you know, this is a very big year for our family. Very, uh, there's a lot going on. Brett and Jessica got married, and Lindsay, you know, she's not getting married yet. I told her she's got to remember the motto, fries before guys. She's got a long time here. But anyhow, um, you know, our family's growing, and I can now add Carly and Devin to the list as my son-in-law and daughter-in-law, Right? But all my life, I've tried to look back and say, Arlen, listen, listen, there's always temptation. There's always temptation. There's always just to be done, to walk away, to be burned out in life, to be, to be discontent, to be tempted, to be lured. I can't, I can't. I can't follow you there. I'm sorry. Rich young, rich young ruler, you had it backwards. You had it wrong. I just can't follow the tempter there. There's too much to lose. Would I lose him for my life? Would I lose Michelle for my life? Had I done some certain things? Maybe. Would I have lost my kids for my home? Possibly. Maybe I'd have just lost their respect. Maybe the security that I provide them when they know that their dad in his deep voice that says, hey, obey your mother, is also the man who loves them and is all their sporting events and all their performances and, and is there in their corner to be there and, and, and both as a corrector but also as a cheerleader and a coach and then someday as a friend and a person in their corner as their adults cheering them on. I don't want to sell that down the river, shake their security, rock their world because their dad goes off and says, no, no big deal. This week, I got a text. Uh, we woke up, Michelle and I woke up to a text in the morning. Um, woke up to a text message from our daughter, Jessica. Been married now since uh, early this year. And uh, the text was sent after, sometime after midnight. She was awake, apparently, still. And she just said, hey, I'm just laying here thinking about you and how you raised me in my home. I've been so blessed my entire life to have you as my parents. And just a real nice note. And I opened my eyes when I woke up and I saw the message and I thought, that's treasure. That's treasure. Nothing is worth selling that and losing it. I have too much to lose. Where am I at here? Lighthouse Church. I'm so honored and proud. I can't believe that for 24 years now I get to be in ministry, let alone the pastor of the same church. I listen to myself sometimes afterwards and I think, man, Arlen, you can never stop talking too fast, can you? And I think, why does anyone come here? You know, but I get to do it. I get to serve. I get to do the same thing for all this time and it's by the grace of God. And I get to go out in the back and shake some hands on the way out of the building after the service and during the last song, I'll sneak out at the very end and I'll be out there so I can say goodbye to you as you leave. And I get to serve people and love people and watch them grow because God let me be a pastor now for 24 years. You know, yesterday in my office, a young man, you don't know him unless you come to the first service. There's a family that comes to our church that they come in the last year. They're teenage, they're just pretty new to all the whole thing, you know, church. Their teenage son came to the office yesterday to, to just get some counsel about something. And he received Christ as his Savior yesterday in, my, in the office. And he wants to get baptized next week. 
He's going to do it in the first service, by the way, so you're not going to see it here unless you come to the first service because he attends the first service and he wants to do it then. So it won't be online either. But he's getting baptized next week. And I'm just so happy for him. He's today radiating in church this morning. And all the things that I've got a chance to be a part of and do all these years as a pastor of life, and I'm thinking to myself, I can blow that tomorrow if I'm not careful. All these years, I've tried to remember that when the temptations come and the opportunities come to just throw it up your hands or take a bad choice, I got too much to lose. Rich young man, you made the wrong choice. You, you, you had too much to lose, but you chose the wrong thing. But I have too much to lose. I got to remember that when temptation comes my way. Let me give you some more. Financial stability. Because divorce is expensive. And so is marriage counseling. And so is alimony. And so is child support. And so is kids therapy, right? So anyhow, all that stuff. But, but also so is a new job when I lose my current one. You know, is it worth it? Because the temptation says, hey, come on, leave it all behind and follow me. I don't think so. I got too much to lose. Through the years, all these years of pastoring, I've thought over and over again, you know, what I don't wanna, you know what's too valuable to me? My influence. Whatever it is, I'm no, I'm no megastar, but I have influence. So do you. On all of our own levels, we have someone who looks to us. And I don't want to sell that down the river. I don't want to trash that thing. I don't want people, people to say, man, he once taught me better and look at him. I don't want to be that guy that everything, everything that's ever been said is now worthless because of that one moment. Everything he ever taught is now trashed because of that one big bad move. I don't want to be that, 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 in that spot. And so through the years I've thought to myself, this is so valuable. You can't put a price tag on it. I don't want to lose. I don't want to sell it because of an opportunity to follow temptation. Even if you don't have influence or I don't have influence or as much as we want, it's our integrity, my integrity. I know that no matter what I can do or can't do in this life, I get to get up every morning and look myself in the mirror as I comb this hair and brush these teeth and make the best of this old appearance. I get every single day I do. I think to myself, I got to look at this guy and say, have you done right by others? Have you done right by your family? Have you done right by your God? Integrity is so valuable. How do you put a price tag on it? It's something to remember. And I'm going to get to this in just a minute here for you. I want to give you one more. The name of Jesus. I don't mean that Jesus would leave you. He'll never, the good news is he'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what you do, he's always there. He's not going away. What I mean is this. I don't want to hurt him, and I don't want to hurt his name. I don't want anyone out there to say legitimately, I don't believe or follow the Lord because it's all a bunch of baloney because Arlen said he was a Christian, and look how he treated or did or whatever. Somebody. The name of Jesus. The Bible says in, in Matthew 6, 5, 16, let our light so shine before people that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. I don't want them to see our wrong deeds and dishonor our Father in heaven. I want his name to be great, high. I want people to sit there and say, God is good and I've seen his light shine and lived out in other people. And, 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 to, and to hurt that, to damage that, to set that back in someone's life, that's just too valuable. That's too valuable. There's just too much to lose. That is not an exhaustive list, or we'd be here all day. And I realize that as I say this today, some of you, you'd say, I don't have all those things on my list. All those things aren't the same as mine. 
but some of them are. And I have 10 others I could put up there, and you have 10 others too. All of us have great possessions and too much to lose. And here's the thing I want to say to you. If you don't know that there is such a thing, if you don't think that there's anything to lose, that you have anything valuable to hold on to when you're tempted, I, I think you're in a dangerous spot. I think what happens is we've forgotten to count our blessings and we begin to just count all of our discontents and our problems and it's easy to lose sight of all the good things in our life. That's why this is Thanksgiving month, right? It's so important this time of year to get back to the spot where we start realizing and remembering and recalling and thanking God for the things that we have because if we forget they're there and we lose sight of them, it's easy to walk away. Isn't that what the rich young man did? Do you know why he turned Jesus down? Because when Jesus could come follow me, he was all too aware of his possessions. They were front and center in his life. He says, I, I'm too aware. I can't leave this behind and follow you. I'm sorry, I'm out. And I think that if we could just stop and realize that we have some true riches, all of us in our own way have true riches, if we could number them and think about them and count them the way that that rich man may have counted his wealth and count our blessings and count God's goodness and count the opportunities that we have, we might just say when tempted, oh man, I'm tempted to follow that. I'm tempted to go down that path, but I can't. I have too much to lose. I have too many great possessions. I can't do it. I can't do it. Last week, we were reminded that the rich young man was rich, but he really wasn't. He chose the wrong riches and missed the chance to be truly rich. And the same is true on the inverse. We sometimes sell our true riches for a lesser desire, a fleeting temporary desire that brings joy for a moment and death and sorrow in the end. Let's hold on to the right things. Let's not hold on to the wrong things and let's not trade the wrong things either. Now, I'm going to say this before I wrap this up. If you are here today and you're like, man, Arlen, oh, I've made the wrong choices. Thanks a lot. Ouch. You know, you know I've done that. I've, 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 I've sold some, I've walked away and let some things go that were valuable and followed the wrong path. So that doesn't do me a lot of good. First of all, we've all sinned. But I hope that if you talk about a significant thing where you've lost, seriously lost some things because you went down the wrong path, here's what I hope. I hope that you're the biggest cheerleader of this sermon. I hope that you're the one who's like, amen, that's right, say it loud, tell somebody else, tell the young people, tell the middle-aged people, tell the old people, tell everybody. Hear that. That's, I needed that. I, I wish I would have done that. Preach it. I hope that you're the biggest cheerleader. And I also want to say to you, the past is the past. We all come short of God's glory. We all have mistakes in our past. But there is life after failure. There are new blessings to accumulate. There's new opportunities. There's new influence. There's new, a new day. There's, a new, there's new chances. There's new, there's new treasure in your life. And going forward from this day forward, don't let temptation convince you to sell it and walk away and follow the wrong voice because you know it's going to come around. I'm just telling you today what's been a North Star in my life. I want us to value the right things from this point on. Because, here's why. True wealth is knowing which possessions aren't worth giving up. It doesn't matter where you are or what you have in this world. 
true wealth is knowing which possessions aren't worth giving up. And I hope that this Thanksgiving season, some of us can get back to realizing how good, how many intangible things, some of these things that are easy, I should have put these, some of these things are, are, are not so, are, 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 are hard to put a price on, hard to put a, how to, how to monetize it or to think about it in practical terms. But here's the thing. We all have so much. True wealth is knowing which possessions aren't worth giving up. Now, why did I do this today? Partly because I'm, I'm a sentimental sap and it's in 24 years. No one, was, no one was around anymore. Nathan Christensen, Melissa Christensen and the kids, they're the longest time members I've had in these 24 years now. They're the, they're the, old, they're the oldest. Uh, st- because when I came to the church 24 years ago, it was 25 people. And, you know, we had a few people just naturally die or move away, and whatever happened. But then, then we left our fundamental Baptist roots, and that kind of blew up the rest of that ship. And over time, you know, no one's been here longer than we've been here, Michelle. You're the closest. So I know that this 20, November 15th doesn't matter to everybody here, but it, it hits home to me. And, and what I'm preaching today, what I'm sharing with you today has helped me. It has guided me. It has reminded me time and time and time and time again, don't be like the rich young man. Be the guy who sees what you really have and don't sell it down the river. Don't abandon your great possessions. Don't do it. You have too much to lose. It has helped me. Whenever I hear a sad story, I think to myself, I hurt for the people affected by it. I hurt for the person who wakes up on the other side of it and says, man, I wish I could undo that now. We have too much to lose. And I hope that by the grace of God, I hope I, I get to live a long time. I don't have any guarantees. Next year, if I make it to next year, it'll be 25 years as pastor. 25 years next year. Can you believe that? I know. It's a long, it's a silver anniversary. My hair's already way beyond that. 25 years next year, and here's the deal. I may not make it. Health can fail. We had a lady in our last service who, a year ago, her husband died. He was a pastor for many years. She's grieving still. I, I hope I can make it to 25 years with my health or something else could take me away. I don't know. God could call. I don't know. But I hope I'm here 20, uh, uh, for 25 years. I hope I'm here for 30 years. I hope I'm here for 40 years. I'm not going, I don't want to go anywhere. I can't control certain factors, can I? But you know what? I can decide is that when temptation comes and says, hey, follow me, I can say, I can't. I just have too much to lose. And I hope that that will help you And when someone else doesn't or you don't, keep our eyes on Jesus. He's good even when we're not.